Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We are going to work our way through, continue working our way through the book of Colossians this morning. And uh, actually, take a half step back into chapter 1, just one verse back, verse 29. It says this, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So what's Paul toiling for? Well, he is toiling that he may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul toils within his own personal physical struggles, but also through the work of Christ within him to present every person mature in Christ. And so as we go into Colossians 2 here this morning, we're going to see Paul's struggles continue. But this time, specifically his struggles are in regards to the church of Laodicea and Colossae. And so let me ask you this, what's important in a church gathering? Well, to me, it's making sure the announcements are right. It's, it's the battle Matt and I have throughout the week about where the chairs should be lined up. You know, it's maybe how soon the planter box out front is going to get changed because it's crumbling apart to a million pieces. That's, that's what's important to me at church. For you, it might be, oh, the music's too loud. The music's too quiet. You didn't get your hot chocolate in, when you came in. The, maybe the s'mores, that special, we got like the 10 million types of creamers there. You don't have your special creamer that you really like. They ran out. The struggles that we have around our church gatherings here nowadays are not the same type of struggles that Paul is going to uh, relate to the church in Colossae. And so after sharing his ultimate goal of presenting every person in Christ mature, he immediately in these next verses in chapter 2 uh, begins to talk about his struggles and concerns that he has for the church in particular. And so if you'll stand with me this morning, actually we're going to read our text this morning, we're going to read it together. Well, you don't have to read with me, but I'll read it. You guys follow along. We're going to read chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. It'll be on the screen to follow along, or I hope you have a Bible in your hands. It goes like this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ." For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Lord, we just come to you this morning uh, looking to learn from your word. We trust that your 
uh, word is the authority, that it's uh, through man, it was spirit-written, Lord, that you gave us your word here to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, and train us in righteousness, Lord. So just help us this morning. We know you're here with us this morning. We thank you for that, Lord. We invite the Holy Spirit uh, to work in your church this morning, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all say amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Thank you for standing with me. Qualities of a healthy church. So Paul breaks down what he's struggling for the church, and it isn't the yearly budget in review. And so let's work our way through. We're going to go through these uh, first three things at the top of, of chapter two, that their hearts may be encouraged, that they may be knit together in love, and that they may reach the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So the Paul's first goal for the church is that their hearts may be encouraged. One of my biggest annoyances in our post-COVID era, I was actually thinking this week, I thought, oh, we kind of have, we have BC, AD, we kind of have PC, or BC and PC now, before COVID, post-COVID. <laughs> one of my biggest annoyances in our post-COVID era is uh, how far the pendulum has swung to the opposite uh, way in the church community, where sometimes it feels like all our conversation can resolve around is how bad things are, right? How bad things are happening on this earth, in our community, and sometimes it just feels like that's all we, all we talk about. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I think it's, it opened to our eyes to uh, some of the reality of the spiritual battles going on that we as a church maybe fell asleep or, or we just dismissed or we accepted. But Paul tells us this, an attribute of a healthy church is that their hearts are encouraged. Are public schools where we want to be sending our children to be taught? Well, no. But hey, Jesus is doing a work here, right here on the coast through CTK. Is the government overstepping their boundaries uh, every, inch by inch for every chance they get? Yes. But hey, Jesus is king of kings and he's sitting on the throne. Is the weather crazy and the earth is going to fall apart and split in two? Well, no. <laughs> God said that he placed the sand as the boundary for the sea, perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. Through Jesus, God made the world and upholds all things by the word of his power. Friends, I hope you come to CTK every week and I hope you're encouraged because <laughs> Jesus is in control. Psalm 103 says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So be encouraged today. <laughs> the dictionary definition of encourage is to give support, to give confidence or hope to someone. Now, I don't stand here and pretend that we can be happy-go-lucky 24-7, you know, those people, those people are just as annoying, aren't they? You're like, you're such a faker. Like, they're just as bad as the Eeyores a little bit, right? Where you're like, yeah, you're not, you real people aren't like this 24-7. Because like, we live in a fallen world. We live where death happens. We, we live where disease and war happen. And Paul tells us, rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who mourn. 
But even within that, you know the best way to direct someone to encourage them? The best way to encourage someone is what? Direct their eyes to Jesus. Encouraging someone is much more than just saying, bring in the clowns, let's all have fun, and to turn the mood around. When your eyes are directed to Jesus, you will be encouraged. William Barclay says this, I think it will come up on screen. The word he uses is paraclean. Sometimes that word means to comfort, sometimes to exhort, but always at the back of it, there is this idea of enabling a person to meet some difficult situation with confidence and gallantry. So good Christian, be strong and fit for heroic action for the Lord. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean you're going to have to have a smile on your face 24-7. But it means that we won't back down from a situation that just seems too big for why? Because Jesus Christ is on your side. And what a glorious encouragement that is for people who call upon his name. Even when in the moment it doesn't feel great, direct your eyes to Jesus and you will be encouraged. The second attribute of a healthy church that Paul talks about here is that their hearts are knit together in love. Paul's concerned about unity. He writes, he writes uh, 13 books of the New Testament are attributed uh, to Paul, and I would be willing to bet you would be hard-pressed to find in one of those books that doesn't talk about unity amongst the people of God. Paul is very concerned with unity amongst the people of God. In Paul's day, it was mostly between Jew and Gentile. It was like real problems, like literally the literal God-given promise to the Jewish ancestors thousands of years prior as their forefather was literally chosen as God's chosen race upon the whole world would be blessed and saved and whether or not that promise could be extended to the Gentiles. You can understand how there might be an issue here, right? You're like, no, no, my people were chosen. You don't get to just come in here. Whereas in our day, our conflict's over whether we have gluten-free bread for communion, right? Like, I, Paul's concerned about unity, <laughs> though I joke about our modern issues. We have a lot of issues nowadays with unity, don't we? Unity by what? Coercion? No. Paul wants unity by love. A healthy church, an attribute of a healthy church is love for each other. At the Last Supper, Jesus said this to his disciples, to his the apostles. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The other day, I had a friend call me, a friend from this church actually called me, uh, and he said, hey Blake, like, uh, I just want to clear something up. You said something the other day, and is that what you meant, or is that what you said? And we worked through it, and we realized it was just a misunderstanding. That's not what I said. He misheard me. It was a misunderstanding. Everything was cleared up. And friends, I'm telling you what an honorable thing for that person to do, <laughs> to call me and clear things up. How easy would it have been to just ask, screw that guy? <laughs> 
that guy, that was pretty rude what that guy said, screw that guy. Turned out to just be a misunderstanding of what I said. I didn't say it, it was just as I was walking by, he misheard me, and now we're all good. Friends, that's unity, love. And loving people isn't easy, is it? How easy it would have been just to leave the phone on, on, on the hook. Do we have that anymore? Leave it on the hook. <laughs> it can be hard to love someone that bugs you, that annoys you. Not that anyone here would do that, is like that. But we do it, why? Because we're commanded to. <laughs> and because God first loved you. Showing love to someone isn't about what you get out of it. Showing love is an act of humility that goes from it's all about me, 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 to it's all about you, you, you. I want to ask you this question. Is your first, question, first thought when you wake up Sunday morning when you come to church going, oh boy, I can't wait uh, to see what I get out of this church meeting. Rather than, Lord, use me, show me where I can show the love of Christ to someone today. Lord, help me be an encouragement to someone else in the church body today. I hope that's your first thought when you wake up in the morning as you walk through these doors, not, oh, what can I get out of this place? Lord, where can you use me to be an encouragement to someone else in the body today? A healthy church is one that is unified amongst the peoples, not causing strife or conflict, but showing humility and showing love for each other. Look at verse 2 again of chapter 2. It says this, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. <laughs> it's quite a sentence. What's Paul saying? Don't have doubts in your mind around the assurance and understanding of the mystery of God, which is revealed to you in Christ, whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are kept. See, during this time in, in Colossae and in Laodicea, they've got teachers there kind of subverting the words of the apostles and twisting them into kind of fake philosophies. You could take uh, verse 3 and the previous attributes we've looked at, and, and I could summarize it up in this if you're a note taker, or if you're, actually, this is good if you're not a note taker, because it's easy for you to remember. <laughs> I'm going to attribute, I'm going to summarize this in this. An attribute of a strong church Know Jesus. Know who Jesus is. The most important thing for you as a member of the church body is having full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is what? Christ Jesus. Do you know how many Christians don't have full assurance? I think it's more than you would guess. <laughs> That's my guess. They don't have full assurance of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because of my sin. So the question is, are you saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Well, yes, I am. Okay, do you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? And, and do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Yes, I do. Then the word of God says you will be saved. Why don't you have assurance? Because of sin in my life. So what you're telling me then is, is that you feel the need to rely on your works 
to assure your salvation rather than trust Jesus and the word of God, which says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Or the word of God says this, that this is the testimony God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. And here it is. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Friends, who you think Jesus is, is the most important thing about you. Not even just amongst the church body. The most important thing about you is that you understand who Jesus Christ is. Look at verse 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Maybe you don't have assurance uh, because there's people telling you that there's more to Jesus than just Jesus. You know, they might say, yeah, Jesus was awesome, but you know, there's more than that. Did you know that? There's more than that. There's hidden secrets that you can find out about if you go deeper in the word of God. Then you too will be able to attain these hidden secrets that I can show you. <laughs> Don't be deluded. <laughs> You must know who Jesus is and anyone, any time that anyone talks about their Jesus plus theology, then you need to run. <laughs> you know, I hope you're physically fit because you need to run, <laughs> physically run. But people that preach a Jesus plus ministry are kind of sneaky, aren't they? <laughs> Little sneakers. So don't walk around with a billboard over their head saying, ding, 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 I'm, I'm going to teach you something that you shouldn't know. Hey, look at me, I'm going to give you some false theology this type of people, they use plausible arguments, like Paul warns us in verse 4. They might even open the Bible. They might even show you verses, uh, twist the words, take phrases out of context, and they, they convince you that, yeah, Jesus is great, but there's more you can learn about. You know, maybe they, maybe they stand down here by the park, Maybe they have nice clothes on. Maybe they have little tracks that they can hand you and, and they have a nice little handout that they can give you. And they, they tell you they're Christians too. So listen to what I have to say. Let me show you. Let me, let me open my Bible and show And you go, oh, well, they're Christians too. They're just like me. They're going to help me understand the Bible and who Jesus really was. Spoiler alert, they don't think the same thing about Jesus you and I think about Jesus Friends, don't be deluded. <laughs> Jesus is the mystery of God revealed, and in him are all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You will find no assurance other than the saving work of Jesus Christ. You will find no other understanding apart from Jesus. Clear? <laughs> I was having conversations this week about the classical Christian school we're working on here on the coast, CTK. And one of the benefits that came up about classical Christian school model compared to other Christian school models is uh, that it isn't just math, English, physics. Uh, uh, oh yeah, let's do a Bible class too. The classical Christian school model is, um, they would call it like Jesus-focused math. Do you know why two plus two is four? Because <laughs> that's the way Jesus designed it. 
Do you know why when I drop something, it falls at 9.8 meters per second squared? Because God holds it in his hand through the word of Jesus. Jesus is the pinnacle of wisdom and knowledge. Don't let anyone fool you into thinking that there is more than Jesus. And when we as a church body understand that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, that, that in Jesus God's mystery is revealed, that in Jesus all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are revealed, that in Jesus you have full assurance of salvation, when you understand that Jesus is the head of the church, if you have a right view of who Jesus is, then it'll affect every other area of our church body. It'll affect our encouragement to each other. It'll affect our unity with each other. It'll begin knitting our hearts together in love, but also in understanding. As we grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, our unity grows because of that. And so if you're a note taker and you like to simplify things, the first attribute for a strong church is this. Know who Jesus is. Know who Jesus is. But be weary. Be weary, for there are teachers that will try and delude you with plausible arguments. As I was reading this week, uh, commentaries and watching videos, blah, 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 I heard this quote that I just want to talk about for a second. It's from James Boyce, Dr. James Boyce, if you're that kind of uh, interested in those titles. It's a little bit long, but it'll come up on screen. I just want to read it because I, I like it, and I think you'll like it too. He says this, We do not have a strong church today, nor do we have many strong Christians. We can trace the cause to an acute lack of sound spiritual knowledge. Why is the church weak? Why are individual Christians weak? It's because they have allowed their minds to become conformed to the spirit of this age with its mechanistic, godless thinking, they have forgotten what God is like and what he promises to do for those who trust him. Ask an average Christian to talk about God. After getting past the expected answers, you'll find that his God is a little God of vacillating sentiments. He's a God who would like to save the world, but who cannot. He would like to restrain evil, but somehow he finds it beyond his power. So he has withdrawn into semi-retirement, being willing to give good advice in a grandfatherly sort of way. But for the most part, he's left his children to fend for themselves in a dangerous environment. Listen to this. Such a God is not the God of the Bible. Those who know their God perceive the error in that kind of thinking and act accordingly. The God of the Bible is not weak. He is strong. He is almighty. Nothing happens without his permission or apart from his purposes, even evil. Nothing disturbs or puzzles him. His purposes are always accomplished. Therefore, those who know him rightly act with boldness, assured that God is with them to accomplish his own desirable purposes in their lives. Paul struggles and toils in his life with all of Jesus' energy within him so that he may present everyone mature in Christ. And I offer this argument to you. The number one way that God works through his people to bring Christians to full maturity in Jesus is through the preaching and teaching of God's word at a Sunday morning gathering. 
The gathering of God's people is something that cannot be overstated the importance of. As iron sharpens iron, we are called to not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Martin Lloyd-Jones argues this in his book, Preachers and Preaching and Preachers, that the single most important part of a church gathering is the preaching of God's word. Friends, there's a unique aspect to the gathering of God's people, isn't there? That uh, I'll speak for myself. I didn't fully appreciate until we stopped gathering <laughs> for a little bit. I, I've truly began to understand and appreciate the application over the past few years that occurs when Christians are gathered together in unity, encouraging one another in Christ, and the word of God is revealed through preaching and teaching. Lifting high the name of Jesus without persuasive words or philosophies. You know, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, you all know the story, Jesus is hanging on the cross. On one side of him is a criminal. On the other side of him is another criminal. And one of them cries out, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus respond? He said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It wasn't because of the understanding of the, the, the criminal didn't understand the differences between Calvinism and Arminianism. He, you know, this criminal on the cross couldn't summarize the different works of systematic theology. <laughs> it's because on that cross, the power of God was revealed in the man, Jesus Christ, who is hanging there in obedience to the Father so that you and I may be brought into right standing before God. And this criminal hanging beside Jesus put his trust in Jesus. And what did he have? He had full assurance because of Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm a plumber. I'm a university dropout. I don't say that as, you know, those people are like, oh, I'm so dumb. I don't say that as like a backwards sort of pride kind of thing. Like, I say this so that you know, here at CTK, we preach Christ and him crucified there's no other mystery to be revealed. It isn't by anything secret I can tell you. I don't have a higher philosophy and understanding than you do. I can't tell you anything else other than the fact that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. There's no necessary mass of elaborate knowledge that's needed for salvation. You don't need to attain a certain level. You don't need to work your way up the ladder. The necessary wisdom that is revealed to you for your salvation is not barred to the average man. It's been hidden in Christ, but not hidden in the sense that it's impossible to find, rather hidden in the sense that it's stored in Christ like a bank vault kept for you when you want to access it, waiting to be withdrawn, so simple that even a child can understand. Look at verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding 
in thanksgiving. So the second major attribute of a healthy church is to grow. First you must know, then you must grow. Paul starts, he starts by giving kudos to the church. He, you know, he says, hey, kudos to you guys. You've got good order. You've got firmness of faith. But he says, don't stop there. You can't stop. You must always keep growing, keep moving forward. And there's three things in here I see regarding growing. The first is this, as you receive Jesus, so continue to walk in him. Don't change how you do things. You came to Christ through faith, so why would you drop that all of a sudden? You were saved by faith, but now you think you don't have assurance because you got to work for it. It just doesn't make sense. Don't turn to some other way to grow your faith, but don't stop because you got to keep moving forward. There's no stopping. As soon as you stop, you slide back. One of my favorite exercises that I got, if you know me, well, what am I trying to say? One of my favorite exercises that I was taught in the past year or two is a one to 10 system. I don't even know what it's called, but it's a one to 10 system. I got super pumped on it. I couldn't stop talking about it. I'm sure my wife was annoyed with it. And you think about your walk with Jesus. Think about your Bible reading. Are you reading your Bible? Are you reading once a day? Are you reading one verse a day? Maybe once a week, maybe twice. Maybe you're not reading your Bible at all. Think about your prayer life. Are you praying? Have you ever prayed? (laughs) Are you responding to what God is speaking to you through his word? Think about your fellowship with other believers. Are you going to church? (laughs) Are you the guy that 9.33 to 10.55, that's it, head down, get out of here. Are you gathering with God's people? Are you being encouraged by other people in the family of God? Or think about your evangelism. Do you like to talk about Jesus? Are you too scared to talk about Jesus? Have you ever told anybody you go to church? And give yourself a score of 1 to 10. And just do this right now. Maybe let's pick out, let's pick Bible reading. Think about your Bible reading. How's your Bible reading? Give yourself a score between 1 1 to 10. And here's the awesome thing about this. It doesn't matter what the score is. If you're a 1 or a 9, it really doesn't matter. Because your goal is to get that. If you're a 3... How can I get that to a four? The goal is to get as high as you can. My score on my Bible reading is a six. I read my Bible every day. I'm not perfect, but I get to it every day. And, you know, I read a chapter a day and it's okay. How can I get that to a seven? Uh, I don't know. I could maybe underline one verse I like every day. Great. That'll get me to a seven. Boom. You do that for two weeks. Okay. I'm at a seven now. How can I get to an eight? on my Bible reading. Uh, I don't know. I could start journaling, I guess, and maybe expanding on the verse I like. Beautiful. You're an eight. Keep working your way up. Love the one to 10 system. That's how you keep growing, friends, because if you don't put work in, you stop and you slide back. It sucks to grow sometimes. (laughs) It's work, but you got to do it. Look at verse seven. Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The second point regarding growing, an important attribute to a healthy church, growing, go down so that you can go up. Be rooted in Christ so that you can be built up in Christ. Do you want to be a tree that bears much fruit? Well, you need strong roots to keep you firm. 
Jesus said this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. If you didn't know this, Colossians 2.7, what, anywhere else you've heard 2.7 in our church? It's the discipleship study we do here at the, at the church, Navigator Series 2-7 course. I didn't know. I confess, I didn't know. This is their theme. This is where 2-7 comes from, Colossians 2-7. Three discipleship books that lead you through Colossians 2-7 so that you're built up in Christ, you're taught and instructed, and you're overflowing with gratitude. And so here's a plug. This September, <laughs> we're starting the 2-7 books again. Put that on your calendar, or not, or be me and just be like, oh, shoot, I forgot, I'm in. Which brings us to Paul's third point. The third attribute of growing is that you should be abounding in thanksgiving. As you learn more and you invest your time and energy into discovering the mystery that is revealed through Jesus Christ, it should lead to an abundance of thanksgiving. You ever met some of these people that are so theologically heavy that they're just like <laughs> it's just brutal to talk to them you're like it's just a never-ending problem to be solved and and friends as you grow in your knowledge and understanding through jesus christ you should become more thankful for what he has done for you as you learn and mature the effect of good theological biblical preaching and teaching should lead you to leave here this morning and say thank you jesus <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. The attributes of a healthy church. People that know Jesus. People that grow in Jesus. And the third thing, people that forego anything but Jesus. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Some of your versions might say, I think the New King James Version says, beware lest any man cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. And that's exactly what it is, friends. <laughs> when you allow words of men to influence you, that they are not stamped with God's seal of approval, they're not stamped with Jesus Christ. Friends, you're being cheated. You are being cheated of the life that you could have in Jesus Christ. Don't let it happen. You know, as I get older, some of you might be older, were you? I used to be a bit of a people pleaser. I used to be kind of like, I just want everyone to be happy. I'd be scared to say anything. But now we joke in our house that in 40 years, I'm going to be the guy on the porch that's just yelling at kids as they walk by. Get out of here. Go home. Be quiet. Because I kind of start to get satisfaction nowadays by calling out lies. Even if people don't mean it, I'm like, no, that's a, like, people just say stuff sometimes. I'm like, that's a lie. You might have said, like, fact check yourself before you just say stuff. That's a lie. You just lied. I like poking the bear a little bit. I'm still not quite there where I fully am free to just be a jerk, but I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Calvin is there. No, just kidding. <laughs> Rain it back in. See, maybe I am. Maybe I'm farther along than I thought. 
But friends, I want to encourage you, don't sit idly by and be a people pleaser when someone starts talking to you about a better life that you can have if you just add a little bit to Jesus. You know, some of you here might not like this because I know you like this guy, but one of the great uh, philosophers, thinkers nowadays that a lot of young men are listening to right now is Jordan Peterson. And he's putting out long forms and of talks on Exodus and Genesis, and, and he loves talking about the Bible and the importance of it, and he's very convincing, and it's good. St- I, I actually enjoy listening to him too. He's got some good thoughts. You can tell that he's not just running his mouth off whatever. He's put thought into it. He says words that are bigger than I can understand. He's very convincing, but you know what you don't hear in the way he talks? He doesn't talk about the saving work of Jesus Christ. And, and unfortunately, Jordan Peterson is a great example of someone who talks a good talk, says words that are great. Uh, he says the same words I say. He reads the same book I read. Yet, friends, you are being cheated in your walk with Christ if you think that he's spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't know what goes on in his personal life, but just what I've listened to. Don't be robbed of your life by the traditions and philosophy of men. Look at verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Underline those two verses. Here's a pro tip. Are you a four and you need to underline your Bible? Here's a great start. This will get you to a five. Underline those two verses if you don't have them underlined. Let me read it again so we understand. For in him the, full, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, him being Jesus. Verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Jesus is not a half God. Jesus is not a good guy who got enlightened. Jesus isn't God's assistant assistant to the regional manager or anything like that. Jesus Christ is God become man, and in Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of God dwells in a bodily form. Don't be confused. Don't be misled. Can I make it any more clear for us today? Jesus is God, and look at verse 10. You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. What an amazing promise. This is a fact to be enjoyed not a status that you need to achieve. In Jesus Christ, who's the head of all rule and authority, you are made complete. Three attributes of a healthy church. You gotta know Jesus, we gotta grow in Jesus, and we gotta forego anything but Jesus. So will you stand with me this morning? And I wanna encourage you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, now is a great time to know Jesus. Jesus Christ has God become man, and actually I'll invite the worship team to come up as they get ready. Jesus Christ has God become man. About 2,000 years ago, he came to this earth. And he was obedient to his Father in heaven who directed him to the cross. He was hung upon the cross And he willingly gave up his life. No one killed Jesus. He gave up his life so that the blood sacrifice was atoned 
once and for all for you and for me so that in Jesus I can look to him and say, Lord, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead and the word of God says you will be saved and what a glorious promise this morning. If you don't know that, if you don't have full assurance of that even, if you go, yeah, I believe in Jesus but mm, I'm not sure that I'm gonna go to heaven. Let me remind you this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Have full assurance this morning. Maybe this morning as we wrap up praying, you need to repent of sins. <laughs> That's a good thing to do. That's an honorable thing to do. Because you need to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. As you repent, you look at your sin that the Holy Spirit reveals to you as we pray this morning. Maybe ask the Spirit to just reveal in your heart sins that you've committed. Sins that separate you from God. And as you turn 180 degrees and you say, Lord, I want to leave those sins behind. Wash me whiter than snow. I confess I need you, Jesus. And he'll do that. And you go and you're washed whiter than snow and you live your life through the knowledge and wisdom of Jesus Christ, who loves you, who cares for you. And I want to encourage you this morning, friends. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's all we got to say. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your son. Lord, help us be a, a healthy church here. It's not about... Uh, how much money we have in the bank, but it's about your people, Lord, as we gather together that we would encourage one another, Lord, that we would know who you are, Jesus. That we would uh, continue to grow in you, Jesus. That we would accept no other claims other than Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. And to that we give you all glory and honor. In your name, amen.